0: Hello and welcome to the China and Africa podcast. I'm Kobus van Staden. Unfortunately, we don't have Eric with us today because he's stuck in internet hell. Um, Vietnam went dark internet-wise a few days ago, and, and we're still struggling to, to, um, to connect with him. But we, I'm delighted to, uh, to be joined today by Ming-Wei Wang, who is here from Johannesburg. Hi, ming Hi, Coris. So, um, Mingwei is a, a PhD student at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities um, and a, a research fellow at the Center for Indian Studies in Africa at WITS University, my my home institution. And um, she is doing field work in Johannesburg, in the Chinese community in in Johannesburg, which she'll tell us about in a a moment. Um, The reason I'm speaking with her today um, is that South Africa has been hit by a wave of xenophobic violence over the last month. Um, At least seven people have been killed. Um, All of them, as far as I understand, all of them from other African countries. Um, But the Chinese community has come in for some attention during this during this, pro, this uh, problem um, and you know I wanted to connect with Mingwei to talk about what the specific role of the Chinese community is in this bigger crisis so um, Ming Wei I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your your work and uh, what your research entails.
1: Sure. So, um, I, my, my project is, uh, an eth- ethnography of Chinese capital and, um, migration in South Africa. Mostly I'm looking at c- contemporary, um, migration and capital. So mostly, um, you know, post 1998 kind of, um, mainlanders, largely Fujianese coming to South Africa and doing, um, kind of trading, trading businesses. Um, So I'm, I've been in South Africa since January. Um, but I've been here over the past two years, um, eight weeks at a time. Um, so um, in Johannesburg I'm based in Cyril Dean, which is referred to as kind of the new um, Chinatown or the second Chinatown um, in bruma and then I'm also I do research um, at China Mall which is kind of you know the it's part of the China mall group it's it's the iconic the flagship China mall in Johannesburg and there are um, over 20 20 of these malls in Joburg alone um, so, for, so so
0: for people who are used to a, 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 you know kind of a normal suburban shopping mall, how is the China mall different?
1: Um, Well, this particular China mall, so they they sell, um, they're usually, uh, they do a combination of um, wholesale and retail. Some malls <clears throat> tend to be more on the wholesale side, um, supplying re- retailers, um, and some are like this China Mall are, are more on the retail side. Um, but what's special is they sell all Chinese Chinese imported goods, um, and these goods have a bit of a reputation, um, kind of locally referred to as Hong Kong kind of fake, kind of non super quality goods. Um, in fact, kind of Chinese goods have become um, kind of a brand, like China has become kind of a brand in their goods. But um, what's kind of interesting about these malls and and why I think um, the view from the China mall is interesting in this conversation about the latest wave of xenophobic attacks in South Africa is that these malls are usually entirely comprised of, of um, foreign nationals. So the, the traders, the shop owners are um, largely Chinese, but you also have a lot of Indian and Pakistani um, kind of migrant entrepreneurs. Um, You you also get a few, it's rather rare, South Africans, um, some South African-born Indians. And then you, and they largely, uh, hire undocumented migrants from Malawi and Zimbabwe for the most part. Um, And you also will have at the mall, um, you know, people who are from Nigeria, Zambia. Um, Some of the security workers are often black South Africans. So it's it's a very um, kind of diverse group of mostly foreign nationals at China malls. And the people who shop there tend to be, um, you have a lot of like, um, black-colored Indian, South Africans, um, uh, also many white customers. Um, class-wise, you get a lot of middle and aspiring middle classes. Um, some people are earning salaries, which is evident in, um, you know, how packed China malls tend to be on at the end of the month uh, at kind of payday. Um, these malls, like many malls, have a lot of security um, but you might see more security at these malls because um, of the amount of cash business. I think China malls tend to be known as, you know, you need to bring cash at uh, cash to these malls. Um, they're not quite if you go to a Rosebank or Santan um, Clearwater, where where every shop will take cards. Um, so, so there is quite a lot of um, a security presence, and um, Chinese, particularly Chinese traders, um, are. Targeted for hijackings. Um, i think I think this is. This is like one of the main kind of issues kind of facing Chi- this Chinese trader community. Um, and, so, um, so these malls are very much like fortresses. Like the built environment of the malls, it's very gated and secured.
0: Yeah, that that's an important point. One quick note for for foreign listeners: uh, Mingwei mentioned um, you know the 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 presence of black and coloured South Africans. Now, a little you know kind of. Little quick lesson in, in, in South African horrible history. Um, Coloured is uh, is a racial classification in South Africa, which is different from the way the word is has been used in a racist way in the U.S. Um, and in South Africa, it, it denotes bi, bi-racial identities, and you know it's, it's a separate kind of uh, racial and ethnic identity than than black. So sorry for that, you know, little South African footnote there. Um, so in terms of you mentioned that the that the the malls are like fortresses and um you know and that it is this very mixed kind of migrant community how has the mood been since in, in the mall since the xenophobia uh, xenophobic attacks started like how how has that impacted life in the mall
1: um i'll mention kind of two things um first um th- there haven't really been any uh, really substantial kind of targeting of chinese businesses um this past month um so just to um contextualize a little bit um you know chinese um chinese are often um kind of targeted more i think in townships and rural areas in south africa where where they are trading and they're more isolated um rather than these these malls in joburg um there There have been some you know um targeting of of Chinese earlier this year um in like Lusaka and Kinshasa. Um, but in in Johannesburg and Durban um where there's been kind of the most most of the violence this past month there haven 't been very many um incidents of kind of Chinese shop owners being being looted or being um, like physically harmed,
0: um, and this has been an issue because you know, kind of, I, I actually in, in researching this, I saw all of this, con- all of these conflicting numbers, where where the Chinese state-owned press actually quoted. You know kind of numbers of saying that several shops have actually been been attacked, and others were saying, as you said that you know South African sources were saying that that none had been, um, so I was a bit confused by that, and also of course, the Chinese government then then kind of you know put out a travel warning for their, for their citizens about coming to South Africa.
1: Right. It's, it's, it is rather conflicting. I have not heard any actual numbers, but I, I've heard, um, some anecdotes, um, like, um, you know, shop owners, Chinese shop owners in Durban, they started closing up shops, um, you know, and one person, decided that we're not going to get attacked and they they kept their shop open and then they actually were um, looted. So, you know, I know there's at least one incident in Durban, there's at least one incident in town, like in the CBD. Um, But from from people I've talked to, you know, I, I don't actually get any figures or any you know, um, you know, here's, here's the news account with the exact shop. Um, but, but there've been a few, I think there's a consensus that there, there've been a few in Durban and in kind of the inner city of Johannesburg, but, but, but not much. Um, so it's fairly marginal. Um, but it It definitely has been kind of affecting you know going back to your first question about kind of the mood within the trader community and it 's been kind of affecting daily life and business so these malls um, um, have been like largely very empty um, during kind of you know the week around april you know April fourteenth through seventeenth when Things were, um, starting to, to escalate in Joburg. Um, you know, a few, there just weren't very many, you know, customers coming to these malls because, you know, people, people are taking precautions and afraid to kind of drive in, um. Some shops, depending on, you know, the shop owner's discretion, have been closing early. Um, some malls, um, it's been rumored. And again, it's hard to say exactly what happened because what I'm finding is everything is just one huge rumor mill. Um, you know, I've heard accounts that, you know, Dragon City, um, which is closer to town, was, you know, closed um, on, on the 16th. Um, I've, I've heard, oh, only some shops closed early. Some shops are only open in the morning, so people can take stock. Some Chinese are closing shops, some Chinese are not. I've heard a lot of different accounts, but, um, you know, there there definitely has been kind of a slowdown and rerouting of business. Um, I would say it's also kind of affected um, daily life. Chinese are taking precautions, kind of in Cyril Dean. Um, People aren't, you know, going out to Eastgate Mall on Friday night, which is kind of the main leisure activity of the week, going to Eastgate Mall on Friday night, um, which is kind of nicknamed as the other China mall at this point. Um, (laughs) um, You know, I've noticed in in my daily commute, you know, our driver, you know, doesn't drive through kind of Dornfontein anymore. Like we've taken another route, kind of circumvent the CBD.
0: Yeah, for um, people who don't know Johannesburg, Dornfontein is a, is a is a very dense quite poor area that 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 gives you a bit of a detroit kind of vibe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um you know, I so I, I've heard, you know, I've also heard of you know, so people people are also making these other kind of um seemingly mundane decisions that I think are actually more significant. Um, like sometimes when, you know, a, a married couples own a shop together, um, you know, the, the man will decide I'm, I'm going to go to work, you know, you being a woman, um, should stay at home. Uh, so th- there have been, you know, or making kind of, kinds of decisions like that, or instead of, instead of going for my run in the morning, I'm going to run in the yard. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to leave. So so I think people are taking precautions. And I, I think even though they seem really small, they're significant and they kind of index some sense of imminent fear of attack. Um, but I, I have not noticed in either Cyril Dean or at the malls, like an increased um, police or private security presence. I think at the malls, um, Security clearly are thinking about the possibility of, you know, a so-called mob coming to the mall, um, although it is unlikely because you have private security um, who can, you know, bring the police over, right? You have private security with their own kind of protocols. They're very gated malls. You Also, it's a matter of numbers. Like, you know, at, at the China mall I'm at, there are over 500 shops. That means there are at least... A thousand to fifteen hundred people inside the mall at any time, um, and a security force. So it's it's unlikely the the mall itself would would be a target. Um, So um, I haven't I haven't noticed actually. I, I actually was expecting the possibility of seeing a larger private security force in Cyril Dean because there is um, a private security company that circulates all the shop owners chip in um, to the kind of local Chinese Chinatown Association, they pay for um, you know this company, Bad Boys, to patrol to patrol, Bad Boys with a Z, to patrol. And I actually did not see a larger kind of Bad Boys presence during during kind of the week of the height of the attacks.
0: But what I think you're making clear is that this is already a, a highly securitized environment. I mean, this is, this was not some kind of you know kind of some kind of blissful you know kind of idyllic situation of people just lazing around with no no bars on the windows. I mean, this this is clearly a, a, a community that's already very worried about security and now getting even more worried.
1: Absolutely. It's just a slight... It's a different... Um, it 's a different kind of threat because um, Chinese traders are already hyper vigilant about their surroundings about what what routes they take um, about where they are at what time of day um, about pro- having private security you know, just walking around in Dean, I see you know a lot of um, you know a lot of German shepherds and guard dogs um, and and the, the, there's very much, you know, a lot of electric fences. It's, it's a very it's a very security-oriented kind of community um, because of the kinds of business they're doing and the, the form of tr-
0: cash transactions. Um, and do, do would you feel that the, that also reflects a lack of trust in the police?
1: Yeah, there um, certainly is a, a lack of trust in the police. In Johannesburg especially, there's a lot of... Um, I mean, I think a, a lot of South Africans, you know, have this discourse of the police being corrupt. Um, that kind of gets pathologized as like the ANC is corrupt, and um, and and, Ch- and Chinese do that too. Um, particularly, police um, often will stop uh, SAPS and JMPD will stop Chinese cars on the road in specific routes where they know. In, in the times of the day when they know there are Chinese on the road, um, just trying to get bribes of whatever sort they can. Um, I would say Chinese in general have a pretty antagonistic, Chinese traders have a pretty antagonistic relationship with most South African um, law, law enforcement and state institutions like Home Affairs, SARS, um, you know, SAPS.
0: Yes, SARs um, for, for non-South African um, listeners, SARs is the South African Revenue Service, essentially the tax authority.
1: Right, right. Um, so th- there is, a, and I, I can't speak with much authority on it, but um, recently, at least within the past maybe two years or so, um I could be wrong on, on when, but they did um, establish kind of a satellite branch of um, the SAPS in in Cyril Dean. Um, it's called the Chinese Community Police Forum. It was kind of the, the undertaking of, um, of a prominent Chinese businessman and, and the SAPS, I, th- I think, to create some kind of um middle ground between kind of the concerns of the Chinese community um and um you know the SAPS. Um, but but even though that exists, I think there's still largely not much um the Chinese Chinese traders here don't
0: don't really trust the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that, you know, kind of that, that should then be seen in the bigger, the bigger you know, kind of context of, this, of the xenophobic attacks, where a lot of the people who were victims of the xenophobic attacks were also traders, but traders from Somalia and you know, kind of frequently other African countries. Um, and in that case, there were, there were several pictures that I've seen circulating online of police standing by while local South Africans were looting the shops and not doing anything. So, you're not know, going kind to of, so, I mean, this kind of hostile relationship with the police that the Chinese traders have need to be seen in this kind of in, in the wider context of, of the, the kind of activity and inactivity of the police in the during the xenophobic attacks.
1: Yes and also um you know from you know my experience um talking to Zimbabwean and Malawian workers at China Mall they they have the same um you know kind of har- problem of harassment um to you know for for papers and things like that from the police to collect bribes um
0: but so, I Yeah, go yeah. ahead, go ahead, sorry.
1: Oh, sorry. I I was also thinking, um, you know, when when the Chinese Chinese traders have been a bit, you know, a bit on edge, um, thinking about okay, if something were to happen, you know, what what would our kind of what would our avenues for recourse be? Um I don't think people are putting much stake in the police as an option for them. Um and I and even even private security, you know, they they wonder what would private security really save us and I think what 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 people have been kind of saying is um you know Chinese can only rely on ourselves, so there is that sense of um, kind of a community and the need to you know to be self-sufficient,
0: you know, protect protect themselves. Which is so um, interesting because it was exactly the same kind of um, the same kind of we're, we can only you know we can only protect ourselves kind of kind of uh, way of thinking that that was also instrumental in Afrikaner nationalism, you know, decades mm-hmm. ago. So it's it's really interesting how these patterns kind of recur and recur in South Africa, um, you know, in 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 the context of of this of the the xenophobic attacks. Um, you know there's been um, calls or discussions in South Africa you know in, in the wake of this crisis of whether xenophobia is really an appropriate word and whether we should really talk about afrophobia you know kind of, because there is a situation where almost all of the foreigners who were attacked attacked were foreigners from Africa um, from other parts of Africa um, rather than all of the other foreigners that, that, that live around and you know that, that live in south Africa and I mean when I to make clear that that the entire Foreigner population, South Africa has had a hard time over the last while because the South African government has made life much harder. You know, kind of it's much tougher to get um, work, work, you, to get your work permits renewed. There's a, there's a whole lot of all kinds of other problems. But the physical attacks have been particularly focused on foreigners from from the rest of Africa. So I was wondering what your thoughts are about this issue of xenophobia versus Afrophobia in the context of the of the Chinese traders
1: yeah and i think um so i've been thinking about this question a lot and i i don't have I only have some kind of um preliminary kind of um, insights on this but i've been you know I've really been thinking about this question of so why why haven't the Chinese been attacked um, and I think that has to do I think that has to do with a few things. Um, so to, to back up a little bit, I mean, a lot of the xenophobic attacks are directed toward um, African migrants for taking, um, you know, for for being supposedly taking away low-wage jobs from um, largely black South Africans and also undermining business opportunities, um, you know, through, you know, owning shops and, co- you know, competing and taking away um, kind of you know those sorts of business opportunities, and interestingly, you know the Chinese fit in here in in two ways. Um, Chinese traders they they widely, almost exclusively, employ um, you know undocumented African labor migrants, and they might also be seen as undermining business opportunities, um, especially when they um, kind of open up shops like spaza shops in townships um, or in rural areas. Um, sometimes they're seen as, um, kind of bringing something different and kind of constituting their own so-called market. And sometimes they're seen as competing. Um, I think it really depends on the context. So interestingly, you know, Chinese fit into the story both ways, but, but they haven't been really targeted. Um, and I think, a few explanations I've, I've been hearing when I, when I ask people um, at the mall, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm in a taxi, when I ask people this sort of question, I think some things that emerge are, you know, they're seen as kind of... Um, Clever or like perceived well. Um, sometimes I think their insularity, kind of their social and cultural insularity, kind of staying in kind of pockets, clusters like Cyril Dean, um, is is actually positive because they're not seen as you know you know I'm use, using quotes here as infiltrating or as um, you know a, c- a concern I heard from a taxi driver um, that you know like Pakistanis are are kind of moving into our areas, and they're, they're taking our women, you know, this That's sort
0: of... So interesting, because the yeah. other, the flip side of, of this criticism frequently, which I, you know, kind of hear so frequently from from in South Africa and other parts of Africa, is that the Chinese don't want to integrate, you know, kind of, so, so oh. they're, they're, you know, so, so in a, there's this weird situation where they kind of have to integrate, but also not have to integrate. It's fascinating right. and crazy-making.
1: Right, I mean, almost everything I'm saying here is like contradictory and double edged but but it is a really interesting set of contradictions and questions. I don't have the answers to them, but i th- I think just putting them out there is something um but here, I think their their kind of social and cultural insularity is advantageous um because They're not seen as a kind of a front. Um, And then also, you know, sometimes they are seen as constituting their own market and bringing something different, like these Chinese goods that kind of stand out in terms of all, like, the variety of things you can purchase. I mean, Chinese goods, they become, they're aesthetically kind of their own thing, and they're really marked as Chinese, um, however you want to construe that. Um, And for that reason, they're they're not seen as, as kind of um, competition to kind of local retailers in the same way. Um, so those, those are some kind of explanations that are kind of circulating locally about why Chinese are not targeted. I've also heard interesting things, conversations at the mall, um, you know, um, between Chinese, Chinese to Chinese, but also Chinese to, you know, talking to Indians and Pakistanis who live in Fordsburg and Mayfair and who are also kind of feeling on edge, um, and the, the explanation has been, well, China has invested a lot of money in South Africa, and there's no way that, um, you know, people will people won't attack Chinese because perhaps um, the South African government will come down on them, right? Because there is a logic here that. Not all, unfortunately, not all lives matter in the same way. Some lives, like Chinese lives, are tethered to foreign direct investment and therefore are are more protected. Um, So that's kind of um, one explanation Chinese have been kind of discussing kind of amongst themselves and with others at the mall um, that that there's, a, you know, also maybe a positive um, local image of, of China um, here. So geopolitics really matter, kind of the way that um, stories around, you know, bricks and kind of geopolitics really are, ac- are acutely affecting um, lives right now because um, China is seen positively. Um, so, so Chinese are not attacked in the same way people from Malawi and Zimbabwe and Mozambique and Somalia are attacked. Um, so the, the kind of, um, how, how Chinese are imagined through capital and geopolitics, um, I think is important here. Um, but I, I think, so there's also, um, I think something, you know, like I've been mentioning something bigger about Chinese capital migration, um, that's different from kind of the tra- trajectories of um, African migrants who are the most insidiously targeted. And I think also about historical formations of Zeno and Sino and Afrophobias um, and how these converge and diverge in this historical present. Um, I'm not a historian, so I'm not going <laughs> to really attempt to unpack that. But I think those things are different. I think race um, race and kind of migration trajectories and capital play play a, a big part in how, how those are aggregated and disaggregated. Um, and then I think um, how foreignness and the figure of the foreigner is constructed is important here, um, in which um, I think the, you know, the popular imaginary of Chinese and how they are constructed or not constructed as foreign, um, you know, through popular culture and, you know, mass media and um, longstanding stereotypes that are also, I think, embedded in these, you know, longer histories of Chinese diasporas in South Africa um, all kind of come to play. So to elaborate a little bit, I think, like the figure of like the Chinese shopkeeper, you know, especially, especially the Chinese shopkeeper during apartheid with the spaza shop um, who let you buy on credit versus the Chinese shopkeeper at the, at the mall. Um, you know, the, 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 the containers that you see, you know, coming in from China, um, you know, the, the proliferation of Chinese goods and kind of China almost being a national brand um, for goods, you know, made in China as a brand the way that you might go, um, like look at other brands like China as a country has become a bit of a brand. Um, you know, you see these ubiquitous China bags, you know, that are called Zim bags and kind of associated with migration and hawking, um, you know, Cyrodean and the Cyrodine arches, like I think all of these, um, you know, all of these things kind of prominently kind of shape, um, kind of urban space and figure Chinese as foreign um, in ways that are different perhaps from how Zimbabweans and Malawians and Ethiopians and Nigerians are constructed as foreign um, so in, in race
0: yeah you know yeah. And race <laughs> yeah i mean race being being the big one it's right. so interesting. We we could you know we could spend another five hours talking about this, and we, Mingwei and I frequently have. <laughs> it's it's really fascinating, and and um, and we hope to to have you back very soon. You know, to discuss the the kind of the wider presence of the Chinese traders there, and, and the, also their day to day lives, which is, which is which you're um, participating in. Um, Mingwei Wang um, is a is a PhD candidate at University of Minnesota Twin Cities, um, and she's also a a research fellow at the Centre for Indian Studies in Africa at Wits University, where I am as well. Um, Next time, we'll have Eric back, hopefully, if the internet comes back in Vietnam ever. and um mingwei we usually by the end of the of the podcast we usually try and and deliver people to your social media door to you know if if they want to keep track of what you're doing and what you're reading um where where should they follow you
1: um, that's a good question um pro- pro- probably my instagram
0: <laughs> yeah you're an instagram um, champion yeah
1: <laughs> i wouldn't say champion um but i have been kind of um, documenting some of kind of my 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 Chinatown Chinatown life. I've, I've been using the hashtag Chinese Josie a lot, um, but my Instagram is just Mingwei.huang. Um,
0: and but, uh, just to say, Josie is the is the slang name for Johannesburg, and it is um, it is spelled J O Z I J O Z I.
1: Yes. And um, COVID.
0: Yes. Um, uh, I, yes.
1: I we never talked about the march. <laughs> 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 I just realized it was like a big. We're gonna have to edit this out, but like a big glaring thing we didn't talk about <laughs> at all was the march.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's okay. Let's 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 record one question on that, Yeah, <clears throat> and yeah. then. I think um, that's it. And then Eric can can Eric might have to cut these into two different episodes, which I'm sure will be fine. Um, okay, so um, so just finally um, the uh, the community in, in Johannesburg. This last when was this last week? Um, had a massive march in solidarity with, with foreigners, with with the, the victims of xenophobia, um, and it turned out to be this big symbolic gathering of lots of different constituencies um, to to you know kind of to demonstrate the opposition to this kind of this this um, hounding of foreigners um, by, this, by South Africans, um, and it turned out to be actually a quite significant uh, you know kind of moment for the Chinese community as well. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I I learned about the march. I didn't participate in the march. I actually learned about the march a little bit too late. Um, so kind of my, my account is largely from what I've heard and from what I've seen circulating on WeChat, which is kind of one of the main forms of Chinese social media here, or kind of everywhere. Um, there's also a WeChat um, if anyone is on it, we chat handle um non Nanfei 365, N-A-N-F-E-I-365, South Africa 365, where they kind of post a lot of these stories. Um, but there there were, um I've heard there are over kind of a hundred um Chinese who participated at the march. Um I think it was an overall positive experience. Interestingly, it was mostly businessmen who were there. Um there were buses, um, leaving from the, from like Cyril Dean and from some of the malls, including kind of China mall. Um, they actually announced it in Chinese that there was this bus going to the march. Interestingly, there was no English language, um, announcement. So it wasn't for anyone, interestingly, because everyone at the mall is affected. Um, but it was, it was just a bus for Chinese. I think is very significant. Um, I believe the, the person, the, the group that organized the buses, um, in, in the, the Chinese contingent was the, um, the all Africa, um, kind of peaceful reunification organization, um, who, who is large, it's largely led by kind of a, kind of a prominent Chinese businessman. Um, so, so they, they did march and there was kind of a, um, one of the main kind of slogans that was um, posted posted on kind of the a banner and um kind of on the, the placards was um which is kind of stop xenophobia, stop exclusion. Um but interestingly what's also written on the banner, um at least the English translation is like stop xenophobia, stop the killing and violence, stop the looting. So you know, looting uh-huh. is important here. Um and I was uh, the 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 next slogan, you know, in English would be you know unity and survival and kind of coming out of poverty, which I think is also interesting. Um, so so Chinese kind of marched with this banner and kind of with with their placards, um, and and I asked you know some some people at the mall, you know, why do you think Chinese participated if, if they weren't directly targeted? Some, you know, said, you know, we're also Waikosin, which is, you know, foreign, Waikosin is foreign people. Um, we're also foreigners, um, you know, we've also been kind of looted and robbed, um, even though there weren't many, um, and what's, I think, interesting about this is, um, there's a kind of a shared sense of foreignness and, and also, um, kind of, f- uh, fragments there too, um. and I want to back up and mention kind of this incident that happened at China mall on the 17th, it was a Friday. um, So kind of during the height of, of these kind of the attacks in Joburg, um, that Thursday evening, there was kind of a viral message circulating um, that there was, you know, a train full of Zulus coming from Durban to South Africa to, to, sorry, Johannesburg. Um, So I think people on Friday were kind of on edge all day and, and some, you know, Shops were closing early, or some just didn't even open that day. Um, So I think so people were on edge, and and then there was a false alarm that, that there was, you know, a group at China mall. And, um, I was, I was downstairs at the time and all of a sudden people were running out saying they're here, they're here. It was just a massive exodus, um, total hysteria, um, and, and really terrifying that there actually was a group here at the mall. Um, but you know, I think in that moment it, it um, Chinese traders and, you know, and African workers at the mall. Um, but in different ways, because I think Chinese were really acutely afraid, I mean, of physical harm, but also of their property of looting. Whereas I think for, you know, their workers, they were, you know, really terrified of, of, you know, being really hurt or, you know, worse. Um, of, of their life so you, you there's kind of a difference um, in how they're affected um, but g- you know going back to kind of this you know Chinese at the at the March I think I mean that that example of the false alarm at China malls kind of serves serves as an illustration of in what ways they um, kind of fit into this larger xenophobia march um, they ha- they have kind of they're affected in different ways and have different stakes in it Um but going back, <laughs> sorry, going back again, um, the, the march, it, it was largely, I think, um, businessmen were present because they were the ones who had the time to take off and go to this march. I think also businessmen are kind of seen as the, the political leaders of kind of the Chinese trader community here. Um, they're very much kind of exalted. Um, and uh, I, I think they were there partly... Partly out of, you know, some political solidarity. Um, and then I think also, I think it's about being politically visible. Um, and that there is a sense that, you know, if, if, Ch- if there weren't Chinese traders attacked this time, maybe they could be next time. Um, and the need to, um, you know... That although they aren't directly affected to the same extent, they they too have a stake in kind of South Africa's political life. Um, and there's one other thing that happened that I think is important. There was um, a story going around on on WeChat, um, kind of the the end of that that really terrible week, um, that the Sino South African Chamber of Commerce, um, so a, a set of you know prominent businessmen, um, donated like. Twenty million um, rand in in aid and supplies um, that's to roughly to about
0: two million dollars, right?
1: Yeah, which yeah. seems extremely high, and I'm surprised yeah. I didn't see this more reported on. Um, but they they made this donation to Durban as kind of relief. Um, again, the, these were businessmen, um, and I think something that's interesting here is kind of the relationship uh, between um, some you know prominent Chinese businessmen who are, um, you know, have ties with the ANC and some are members of the Progressive Business Forum. Um, you know, also, if you go back to 2013, um, you know, President Zuma and, and some ANC members were, were at the kind of Cyril Dean Arch inauguration, um, Zuma officiated it and, you know, very much like welcomed the Chinese as kind of new additions to kind of South Africa. Um, so here you have that capital and migration story. Um, but I think, you know, even though Zuma was, was really quiet on condemning the attacks, um, you know, it was interesting to see kind of this, this political, you know, powerhouse grouping of Chinese businessmen kind of taking, taking a stand and you know providing you know relief and um in going to this march which i think is some combination of you know genuine political concern and perhaps some solidarity and maybe there is a, a kernel of you know, radical politics there, but then I think also perhaps some kind of performance, like a political performance, mm-hmm. um, or desire for visibility in, in kind of South African political life. Yeah, um, this
0: is this is endlessly fascinating. It's really really amazing, and and it's amazing to hear, you know, kind of from from you from you experiencing it, you know, kind of in real time as as it's going on within that community. It's really it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so Mingwei Wang is a is a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, and she's also affiliated with the Center for Indian Studies in Africa at Wits University, which is also my home. Um, Mingwei, if people want to follow you and keep up with, with what you're doing, um, where on social media can they find you?
1: Um, probably my Instagram, <laughs> um, which uh, which where I've been putting little bits, bits here and there, um, but I, I am thinking about um, a larger kind of media project in the future. Um, but my, my Instagram is just mingwei.huang, um, where you can find little bits of, I've I've also been using things. I've been using a hashtag Chinese Josie J O Z I shorthand for Johannesburg, um, where you can find some of this stuff
0: awesome and and you know kind of any for future developments we'll definitely have you back to discuss China more life in a lot more detail um, it's been fascinating speaking with you um, you can follow us at um, facebook.com slash china Africa project where we update our news feed um, every few hours 24 hours a day um, and you can also there sign on for our new uh, China Africa newsletter which gives you a, a kind of a curated mix of the top headlines from China-Africa coverage for the week, and you can follow me on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And hopefully, we'll have Eric back for the next episode. Um, thank you, and so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>